3: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
4: So, Gravity Leadership National Gathering is coming up in a few weeks, a few days, maybe from when you're listening to this. And I I have a confession to make about it. When it was first proposed, I didn't want to do it. Mm. Why not, Matt? Because I have... I have increasingly become tired and wearied of Christian events where I go with like huge expectations and leave with like a smattering of notes, uh, sleep deprived, and some swag I don't want. You hmm. know, like some, f- I do like the some free. Some extra pens. You I, like the free pens though. Like you do pens. like those? Yeah. I got one in my pocket right now. Oh, nice. No, but I, I, I kind of, they uh, never uh, deliver to me what I'm hoping to get from them. Hmm. You know, like yeah. the titles of the talk sound great. Uh, this this author or this professor or this pastor is going to deliver the goods that are going to lead me into the—I'm going to be caught up in the seventh heaven. And yeah. It's,
5: it's going to be awesome. Your church is going to be great after this. Yeah,
4: and it just never delivers. And so when we first had this idea, I think Ben Harmon had the idea. Inwardly, I kind of rolled my eyes like, I don't mm-hmm. want to do this. But I got to say, as time has gone on, and this is a work of grace in my life, but also just as we've reimagined how to have a gathering— I am stinking excited because hmm. I think I think uh, one of the things I'm most excited about for this is that there's plenty of space. You know, the, sometimes the Q and A Q&A after a talk is when, like when things just perfunctory. get... perfunctory. Just get yeah. well, like, sometimes it's perfunctory, but sometimes like somebody asks a question and there's like murmuring in the room and people are like, "Yeah, what a what about that?" Hmm. And like you know, if somebody talks for 28 minutes about it, yeah. and you're like, "Oh, well, this is just another talk by the speaker." And he doesn't really, she doesn't really answer the question. And then like the moderator is like, okay, we're done. Right. But like we want that, to, that's a generative space. There, yeah. there is a, a, a space that opens up when people bring their stories and their questions and their curiosity together, mm-hmm. right? In, yeah. a, in a space that's sacred, yes. like a courageous, sacred space. And that's what we want to convene and construct and, and foment in yeah. this event. So I went from being mildly annoyed to being moderately stoked about this event. And I uh, want to invite you personally. I don't, know if, I don't know if I know you personally, but I personally invite you to come. Uh, we're going to have like a bonfire the night before, a uh, 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 fire again Friday night of the event. Lots of time to connect, to talk, yeah. to be together as this emerging community of people who are seeking to live like Jesus yeah. and live on mission and make disciples in the center of God's love.
5: Amen. that's a that's a great endorsement. It's uh, gravityleadership dot com slash gathering. If you want all the info, uh, it's october twenty sixth and twenty seventh uh, with an optional bonfire the evening of october twenty fifth. So I hope you guys can make it. Uh, we're really looking forward to being together. the Gravity Leadership Podcast is curated conversations on what it looks like to practically orient our lives and our leadership in the love of Christ, the gravity that holds everything together. Hey friends,
1: welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. I'm Ben Hardman from Atlanta, Georgia. I'm here with Ben Sternkey and Matt Tebbe from Fishers, Indiana, right outside of Indianapolis. Is it in Indianapolis or is it no, outside of Indianapolis?
5: It's a, What's, it's a city attached
1: to Indianapolis is
4: outside of Fishers. Ben, that's <laughs> okay. how we talk yeah, about that's that. We talk yeah. about it here. Is that that's yeah. how it works? Yep, that's awesome. how it works.
1: <laughs> okay, it's a massive...
4: Indianapolis massive is a
5: suburb of Fishers. City.
4: Yep.
1: One of the largest <laughs> cities in the world. Uh, and... And we're also here with our friend Aaron Keys. Hey guys. Uh, Aaron is the founder of Ten Thousand Fathers Worship School. Uh, he is a good friend of gravity leadership and he also works for the Grace family of churches. Uh, so we kind of work together, Aaron. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Who's we don't wait. really see each other that often.
2: Is there uh, somebody on I'll the I'll drop your name, man. I'll drop your name if it gives me credit somewhere.
4: <laughs> <laughs> hey, Harvin. Yeah. Harmon on the org chart. Who's who's uh, who's whose boss? <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: I, I, I'm certain that Keys is my boss. I am hundred percent sure. That the puppeteer,
5: art, he's everybody's boss. He's the puppeteer. Anybody
1: that crews. lived in Buddy's basement for any period of time oh. is my boss. That's how it works yeah. around Grace. And that's right. You may, not, you may not understand that unless you're familiar with Grace. But yeah. uh, that's favor fun. ain't fair, guys. Favor ain't fair. <laughs> Awesome. Well, hey, Aaron, we're so glad that you're here, man. And today I'd love to talk a little bit about what you guys do at Ten Thousand Fathers. We are really huge fans of the way that you guys are training worship leaders uh, and just watching the results of uh, the character and the competency of the leaders that you're developing. Uh, The worship leader from our church, Grace Marietta, is going through your worship school right now and uh, just loving every second of it. Um, He's a big Aaron Keyes fan uh, and loving every bit of that. And so I'd love to just talk a little bit today about uh, how you got into 10,000 Fathers, where your heart came for training worship leaders. Could you share just a little bit of the story of kind of like the startup of 10,000 Fathers and and maybe share a little bit of like what what 10,000 Fathers is for those who don't know?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, so honored to be on this. Love this podcast. Uh, Gravity has impacted my life, not just to the podcast, but even to the prayer school. All summer, I've been praying through Brian Zahn's liturgy. Mm. Our team went through it yesterday. Um, So just can't speak highly enough about what you guys do. So thankful for you. Um, Yeah, I love Tyler, your worship pastor, incredible guy. The biggest treasure that we get to um, delight in is these people that come from around the world that we get to know. Uh, through a journey of discipleship and walking together. So, yeah, it all started 10 years ago. So it's crazy to think, but 10 years ago, we uh, we had our first class of worship leaders move into this house. So it was four guys. Um, they moved into the basement. The basement wasn't even done. I mean, they were painting the walls for the first month. It was basically like free labor. you know? Yeah, yeah, indentured um, we servants. Were- <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, the reason we did that was because um, for the 10 years before that, I had been traveling with the band and writing and recording and all this stuff. And all the places that I traveled, the pastors that I would talk to would have similar comments like, hey, thank you for, for leading our, our church in worship. Do you know anyone else that could do that, that maybe you could recommend to come here? Because they would all say, we've got great singers, we've got great musicians, but we need someone to shepherd us in worship. How do we, how do we go deeper in worship? And so that was kind of a normal occurrence, about once a week, I'd, I'd get a phone call or or talk to a pastor like that. And then in one week, I got three calls in three days. It's the exact same conversation every time. And it started to break my heart. I'm stubborn, I think. The Lord has to speak to me three times for me to recognize He's speaking to me. In one day. Three times in one day. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And uh, my heart broke because it it just, that picture of Jesus saying, the fields are wide in the harvest. I know that we think of that missiologically and all that stuff, but I, I felt like, there are people out there that want to worship. There are pastors that want their churches to worship, and they don't know how. Not that we're any kind of experts at all, but it was like people want to go deeper in worship, and the worship leaders in these places think that people just want to sing the latest songs. But the people want to go. De- they want to know God better. They want to like. Um, they want to love Him more, you know, more passionately and and faithfully. So. Talked with my wife, Megan, talked with buddy, her pastor, and just started saying, what can we do? Um, so I got off the phone. Uh, I got off the phone with that third pastor and said, I don't know anyone right now, but call me in a year. I'll, I'll have someone. <laughs> um, and so we uh, we prayed. We bought this house where we could have people live with us indefinitely. Um, and kind of from there, it was off to the races. We, we invited worshipers to come for a season. So that first year, we had four guys move in for six months, and we just did life together. So dinners, you know, uh, kids' soccer games. Um, the Lord gave us this house and a tour bus all in about six months so that we could. I wanted them to see my whole life, not just like my stage life or even just my church life, um, the whole thing. Because a lot of my life was on the road at that point. A lot of my life is obviously just kind of normal parenting and family. And we had a baby, you know, during one of those worship uh, schools. Like we gave birth to a baby um, who will be 10 this, this December. That's, so, how you,
5: that's how you can measure how long you've been doing worship school. Just exactly, how, how yeah. Old is your, uh, how old is that kid,
0: right? <laughs> yeah,
2: how old's blended. So um, the, the next few years, we continued to do that. Uh, we had guys live with us for seasons. And after a few years of that, having a baby, you know, normal life, church, travel, band, music, records, uh, we were pretty wiped. And so we went down to Pauly's Island for a sabbatical for a year. We're connected with uh, Sternke here. hey. And uh, we we went down there because we were we believe so much and we want to multiply we want to disciple leaders we just don't really know how. Mm-hmm. I mean we we have the heart, we we have a passion for it. Obviously we we bought a house and we've oriented our life around it, but we didn't really have any tools. I mean pretty much all we were doing I was just sitting on the trampoline with the, with the guys in the morning like walking through the Bible and then we'd write songs together and you know, they'd sit in the green room while we're having programming meetings before D now or something. Um, <laughs> not sexy, you know.
4: Um,
1: I don't know the trampoline. I mean, you did have a trampoline.
5: I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, and you did think to do Bible study on you
4: it.
1: You could paint my basement, yeah. hang out with me, and jump on the trampoline. I'm in. Sign me How up. much? Not pretty good. What's the cost?
5: Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. So we needed tools. Like we needed a, a skeleton. We had the heart. We had the the passion we just didn't really have much else so we went to polys to to get the rest Um, and that year was so helpful for us uh, being around guys like Ben Rhodes um, this whole community that you guys are part of now came home and said you know how how can we prioritize this not just have it as a little part of our life we want this to be our mission to multiply as many worship pastors as we possibly can because um, I'm just, as I go through the Bible and as I think in my own life, like when worship goes right, everything goes right uh, and when worship goes wrong, pretty much everything goes wrong and the the scariest thing is when the people think that it's going right, but God says that it's going wrong and mm. not, like I, not like that's the country, that's the world, but I've just seen in my own life, if I've led worship for 20 years, I think I've misled it for at least half of that yeah. I didn't mean to, I just didn't know, you know yeah uh, there's not there's not great, you know, seminary tracks really like all over the place teaching people to lead people in worship. If, if you want to be a pastor or um, a scholar, if you want to plan a church, there's great stuff. It's the it's replete with options. But if you want to be a worship pastor, it's like get yourself some, you know, skinnies, a capo and YouTube and you're set. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's like that's yeah. not that's we're at a point now that's kind of new in church history, you know, but where this, because someone can sing and carry a tune, they're given as much opportunity to shape a community, what they believe about God themselves, the world, their mission, as, as the pastor who has studied theology and biblical interpretation and culture, you
0: know, Right.
2: it's amazing. And so no wonder all these worship leaders feel ill-equipped and overwhelmed and like they're not up to it. They, they've been sent into a battle without a sword, without a shield. So we're just trying to come around them and go, look, there's there's a better way to do this. Hmm. It's gonna take a little time. Hmm. So, so the model went from come live with us for a year, live with us for six months, to um, let's do it more like a, a grad school with intensives, with coaching, with all that kind of stuff. And so that's what we do now. So m- mainly people come for a week, they do an intensive, then they go home for six months and do weekly coaching. Um, and then they'll come back for a week, intensive, mm-hmm. six months coaching, back for a week, six months coaching, and they graduate. So it's an 18-month journey now um, that actually feeds into a seminary in Chicago that we've partnered with called Northern Seminary. Uh, and it's been a really cool journey now to, to have what we do with and Fathers be accredited as um, graduate-level course towards a Master's of Arts in Worship. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of a nutshell. Is that? Yeah. That's great.
4: That's I want to back up to something you said about skinny jeans and a YouTube channel. My six-year-old girl keeps asking me for both those things. Well, Maybe she wants her own channel. Maybe she wants to be a worship leader. Maybe. Or just a YouTube channel. Just tell style. her
5: all, all you need is skinny jeans and... <laughs> And, and your own YouTube channel.
4: Yeah. yeah. No, that's not what you mean. No, no, no. it. Is that not, not the
1: message you just you got said? got some no? sass, too, Aaron. she got some sass. She does have some sass. Yeah, yeah.
2: She does
4: have some sass. Yeah,
2: understated sexual overtones. That's, that helps, too. Oh, gosh. Oh, well, well, bro. That the, that yeah. the,
4: the two little boys in her class that she likes has a crush on her named Jace and Gage. And wow. you just know those guys <laughs> in high school are going to be no good. Yeah. <laughs> No good driving a Camaro. Already no. the future. Yeah, we or don't. there'll be worship leaders. Those are good. Yeah. Worship leaders. <laughs> I need to get her no,
1: and her
5: friends into worship. School. We don't mean to uh, cast any shade. If you're listening to this and your name is Jace or Gage, we're sure you're wonderful people. I mean, but I'm
4: pretty sure those are two of the ten guys in Cobra Kai from Karate Kid. I mean, yeah, totally. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. <laughs> names pretty uh, oh dear, Aaron, you said something about misleading worship for ten years. Mm. I would love if you feel comfortable. I would love to hear. Like how do you know, and what, what was insufficient about that for you? Like looking back on that, how do you? what were the artifacts or like specifics of I didn't get it or I was doing it insufficiently or I didn't have a full picture, et cetera?
2: I think that the big takeaway for me as I reflect on that has been failing to distinguish between passion and love. So in those early years, I thought my job was to help stoke people's passion. Mm. Like I want people to feel passionate, to sing passionately, yeah. Um, to have a passionate encounter, you know, with Jesus. And there's nothing wrong with that, obviously, but um it's, it's not, you know, inaccurate. It is wholly inadequate. Because like as we're 18 years into marriage now with four kids, if all that I think about in my marriage is are passion, right. I'm gonna miss like 99% of life right. with actually like, being faithful and loving and sacrificial. Um and so I that's what I mean, like the early days. Of leading worship, it was just all about trying to stoke some um, intensity, which is nothing wrong with that. It's just that in 1 Corinthians thirteen, when it talks about loving God, there's nothing about that. Right. It's like love is patient. and yeah. patience and passion are usually going in opposite directions. Like yeah. <laughs> when you know, when I'm engaged with Megan in college, we're, we're trying to honor God and be pure. To give in to our passion is the opposite of love, you yeah. know. Mm-hmm. So I just think early on, like I turned like loving God into kind of lusting for God, Mm. which is weird. Um, (laughs) And it it wasn't actually about loving God in all of my life. It was about having these intense experiences for little slivers of my life, which if that was marriage, it just wouldn't work. That'd be, that's a weird marriage, you know? Yeah, Yeah. It's
4: almost like you're describing sort of like your early experience with that culture was like leading like a Christian hookup culture with God like having these really yeah
2: yeah it's not that far off man so like if there's not a love that accompanies all that stuff Mm. like i mean if if with megan like if i gave her these romantic gestures you know a couple times a week um but i i just ignore her i never think about her i never talk (laughs) to her i never actually help with the kids uh i don't put away the dishes like it doesn't matter what i say to her there's there's a huge difference between saying that you love someone and loving them.
4: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And in worship, I think, you know, it's amazing in the Psalms, I think only one time, Psalm 18, is the psalmist bold enough to say, I love you, Lord. It's and, and that's a word that actually means obey. It's like I love you, Lord, my rock, my strength. Mm-hmm. And uh they I love in the Psalms, they weren't nearly as deceived as we are about how much they loved God. <laughs> we, you know, we don't tell lies in church. We just sing them every week. It's like, (laughs) we love you with all. Well, no, we don't. And, and it's good to sing our aspiration. There's plenty of aspirational stuff in songs too, but we need to be honest. And I think we Mm -hmm. kind of fool ourselves by singing how much we love. I'm really grateful for the intimate stuff that the vineyard brought in in the sixties. And I'm really grateful that we sing to the Lord now, not just about him. I love all that. I'm just aware that there is a big fat line between what I say about how much I love my wife and how I actually live to show it or not. Yeah. And that's, what's going on. when I say, one when God's like, you guys, you, you know, you're, you're singing songs. I hate them. Mm. You're, you're burning incense. Can't stand it. You lift your hands. I turn my face because uh, your life doesn't match up with this. Yeah. You're saying all this stuff. And so, even Jesus, like, you have to love the Lord and you have to love people. Like, we are so quick to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt with how much we love God. And I'm just wondering, maybe we need songs that say, like, how little we love you, but how much we want to love you more.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
4: totally. So, mm-hmm.
2: so that's all. I just think I get I got pretty caught up in the passion and, oh, yeah, I do love you, but I didn't really. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's as if we, ch- we we chase that emotional experience that worship gives us and it becomes our fix for the week that we've got to get on Sundays. And particularly in young people, I'm just seeing this over and over again. I just got to get my fix. I got to get my fix. Mm. Uh, and there's a depth and a beauty to it that is missed when you cannot lead in in a, in a way that takes people to another place. And so mm. part of all of our journey, and I, I'm hearing this in your story, Aaron, was was we were trying to take people to places that we hadn't been to ourselves. Uh, and so there had to be a rootedness. There had to be kind of a redefining of how to lead, um, which is really where gravity leadership came from. And and a lot of our discussion recently has been around, how do you move from training people around technical leadership, right? Just like the tips and techniques and tactics which i'm i'm imagining for a worship leader they're all over the place right there's Mm -hmm. certain keys you play in there's there's a way to get your voice to sound better i can learn a new instrument i can i i don't know i i i there's i'm sure there's tons of stuff i don't even understand that's going on (laughs) in a worship set every single week Mm. Uh, but there's an adaptive way to lead that's not just about technical and it's not leading off of a template And so the question that we've been wrestling with is how do you train people for this? How do you train people not just for talent? Uh, We don't want to train just like good preachers who can like captivate a crowd, uh, but want to train men of character and and women of character, leaders who are able to like step into positions where they lead from a place of like a deep well and a reserve. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I I love the statement that you guys have on your website and the statement that you guys use. And they say this with 10,000 fathers, it says, nurturing worship leaders who lead songs into worship pastors who lead people. Um, that is incredibly captivating for me. Yes. And so I'd love to just talk a little bit about how how do you get there, man? How do you, how do you move beyond? Because there is a balance, right? There's some, there's some techniques that you want people to be able to have. You want your worship leader to be able to sing a little bit. Like we'd, we'd love for them to have a good voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but how do you move beyond just training for tips and techniques and tactics
2: into something that's deeper, Yeah, I mean, a big question that we ask our students, you know, uh, within the first six months of worship school, or the first week, is if you lost your ability to play music today, uh, would you still be recognized as a spiritual leader tomorrow? You know, is the only reason that you're basically considered a leader in your church because of your your talent, Um, and if that's the case, uh, name it, acknowledge it, and then, you know, do something about it. doesn't mean you're a horrible person. just means you focus on the wrong thing. Um, so what we've had to recognize is, man, with Jesus, like this took years with his guys. Mm-hmm. And you guys know all about you know, it better than I do. But with Jesus, he spent three years investing in those guys. Yeah. Um, and they were still kind of a colossal disaster, you know, <laughs> yeah. until yeah. the Holy Spirit, like, empowered him next too. So that's why we've, we've recognized this can't happen in a week. It yeah. can't happen at a conference. Um, it can't even happen honestly in 18 months,
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, but if we can build relationships and invest and sacrifice our time to be in a relationship and not just we're hanging out, we're getting coffee, but like, no, we're walking down the exact uh, same stepping stones that have brought us to where we are. Not that we're perfect. Um, just that we've learned some stuff from doing this 20 years that someone who's done it for two years can maybe skip some of the pitfalls that have taken out a lot of worship leaders, you know, maybe they yeah. could actually uh, learn some stuff from our failures, not to make them make their own mistakes in, in some ways. So it's this, man, it's this, uh, it's first Corinthians four, it's, it's, uh, Paul saying, you know, even if you have 10,000 teachers, you don't have many fathers, but that's what I've become for your sake. Mm. Uh, so imitate me as I imitate Christ. This, this whole idea of, it's not going to come through teaching. And, you know, obviously, the world's not going to be changed through our songs either. That's why we're saying it's leading songs isn't enough. We're actually going to have to lead people. If leading songs is enough, it would happen by now. We got more songs than ever, and there's yeah. more added every year. There's 210,000 songs in CCLI right now. Wow. That number will go up next year yeah. because we've got songs from the Wesleys. We've got songs from Isaac Watts. We've got songs from 6th century. Mm-hmm. We've got songs from last week. And I'm, I was writing one this morning. You know. So we've got more songs than we've ever had. We've got more albums than we've ever had, more tours, better bands, better production. But we don't necessarily have more like more kingdom power in our lives. We're, we, we're kidding ourselves if we think that that's happening. So mm-hmm. we just have to step back and acknowledge, look, the songs aren't doing it. Our music isn't doing it. The only thing that's really going to do it is the Holy Spirit actually changing our lives. We need the real power of a real Holy Spirit to actually see this thing work. And so we've just said, you have to actually bring people into your lives in the same way that you do with your kids. They just see your real life. Um, And definitely, I sit down with my kids and we'll teach them some stuff. But for the most part, they're just around, they're watching, they're up close, um, and we're hanging out. And that seems to be what Jesus did with his guys. Um, the, the thing that I was thinking about for this conversation though, that, that took it all just from organic and fuzzy to, okay, no, this is a little bit concrete was actually starting to learn about songwriting. So six or seven years ago, I was, you know, we're doing worship school. I was teaching students at this point and I was trying to teach songwriting. And one of the students had gone to Berkeley school of music, <laughs> probably one of the best schools yeah. in the country that teaches yeah. you know, music and songwriting. And so he pulled me aside afterwards and he was real humble, real kind about it. Um, and he, he basically said, hey, you might want to check out this guy, Pat Patterson. He's the, the chair of the songwriting department at Berkeley. And he's got some great, great books. And so he, he told me about this book. So I started reading this book and I, my mind was blown. All of a sudden, I didn't want to just inspire people to write better songs anymore. I finally had tools to be able to empower people. And that idea of moving from just inspiring people to do something to empowering them to actually do that thing yeah. has been everything. But it took learning some actual, like, I need to know about rhyme. I need to know about line length. I need to know about melody and prosody. I need to understand all the stuff that I didn't before. It was all kind of fuzzy. Um, but You probably but intuited we, it.
4: You probably You probably intuited totally. some of that, but you didn't yes. know you were intuiting it, so you didn't know how to give it away.
2: Exactly. And that's the thing. Like when I, we, it's kind of become a famous story around to those at this point, but we we did a session with Chris Tomlin a few years ago. Chris has been a great friend of our school. And one of our guys asked Chris in this session, tell us your, your theory on writing bridges. Like how do you approach somebody when it comes to bridges? Cause your bridges are always, they fit so perfectly and whatever. And Chris sat there and thought, you know, and Chris is a brilliant, I think he's a brilliant songwriter. He knows what he knows how to do, what he wants to do. And he sat there and thought, and he goes, you know, I, I like to take it higher. I take it higher. We're like, you take it higher? That's all you've got for us? Come on, you know? And it and, and just blew my mind because he is intuitively off the charts, gifted. He can do it, and he can inspire me to do it. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't help me do it. Um, mm. It doesn't actually give me very many tools. And so it was actually through studying songwriting for a few years and going through Berkeley's stuff myself that it was like, wow, this is a really helpful paradigm for me to think of all discipleship, not just songwriting, but you can only intuit so much. You can't reproduce your intuition. Uh, But if you can bring some information and intentionality to your intuition, then you can start to hand that off. And so with our, with the character and that kind of stuff, Ben, that you're talking about, what we want to see in our leaders, we just have to recognize, look, if you're a leader only because of your, your gifting, um, that's probably not going to take you very far, and uh, you're, you know, let's be honest, we're not getting any younger. Uh, we're not getting any cooler either. <laughs> the that's right. Time yes. is not a friend of worship leaders who are basically leading because of how cool they are.
3: It's oh, getting that window is nice.
2: closing every day. Yeah. Um, but time is a friend of people who are actually growing in godliness and maturity and wisdom. That that opportunity gets more and more broad every day. Hmm. Uh, So we're just challenging our leadership to say, look, if God's giving you a season on a stage or, or like right now, you're cool. That's great. (laughs) Leverage it, use it, but recognize that. How long can you play like in the NBA, you know, 15 years, how long can you coach twice that Mm -hmm. three times that? Uh, And you might not even be the best player to be the best coach.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, But a lot of us, uh, and a lot of times in worship, like people are, pretty insecure when they get to about my age. Um, they're not, I'm not 21 anymore. You know, and I feel it, good <laughs> Lord. Uh, but but if, and if my ego, and I've heard you guys talk about this on the podcast, You know, if my ego needs to be on the stage, then I'm gonna hang on to this season in the, in the spotlight as long as I can. Yep. But yeah. if I'll recognize, I'd actually love to put some more people in that spotlight and I can help them not be burned down by it. Yeah. I think about Saul, you know, what drew what drove Saul insane was that song. It's like Saul slayed his thousands, David's ten thousands. Yeah, and how that that's the song that I want to hear from my kids. I want to hear great. Aaron and Megan were great, but their kids were, like their kids went so much further. That should be mm. the song that we want to hear. Yeah. The next generation is going to go further, but because of you know ego stuff and jealousy, it wrecked him. Yeah. Um, so we like have to prioritize, are we actually living out of health? Are we living out of character? Mm. Um, And then are we reproducing such? Because as Buddy always said, you know, you don't reproduce what you want. You reproduce who you are. So we invite people into who we actually are and we walk with them and we just pray that the Holy Spirit will do for our disciples the same thing that he did for Jesus.
1: Mm. Yeah, Yeah, there's... there's so much of this that's that's caught rather than taught, mm-hmm. uh, and and it's uh, it's giving access to your whole life and inviting people in, and uh, I, I think that's challenging for some leaders. I, I think there's some leaders who are afraid of uh, there, There's there's kind of a I've got my nine to five hours that I work at the church, and then I come home and I kick back because I'm exhausted and I've been giving and extroverting all day and doing all these things. And so mm-hmm. I, I kind of divide my space. So I've got my work hours and mm-hmm. I've got my my rest hours or my home hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do think there's a, there's a flip that there's a switch that needs to be flipped there of understanding that my whole life is ministry, uh, understanding that I'm not just, you know, clocking in and doing my nine to five, that part of my Journey as a leader is inviting people into my whole life because they're they're truthfully there's there's a way that people can see me on the stage on Sunday when I'm preaching and think that I'm pretty great, mm-hmm. uh, but if you see me in my living room with my kids this morning at six thirty when I my son didn't wake up after I woke him up three times and my daughter was refusing to eat breakfast, <laughs> uh, I don't look so much like a superhero at that point. Yeah, uh, and. So how would you, Aaron, how would you encourage leaders who are wanting to invite people into their life and give that access? What are some of the, like the first steps uh, of inviting younger leaders or, or pouring into investing in younger leaders into their life? Yeah. I mean, the biggest. So, like, what's, what's in between like yeah. moving into my basement
2: and jumping on the trampoline? And, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and,
1: and, and, and like, what are the first steps for that?
2: Totally. I think it's to change the way that we think about discipleship, uh, change it from being something else we have to add to our calendar. To how we can do everything on our calendar. So inviting people into what we're already doing—that's the thing. Like we invited people into our normal life. We didn't, you know, we didn't just put on this huge thing for them. And here's our life, and I'm and I'm inviting you into my time with the Lord in the morning. I'm inviting you into my staff meetings. Uh, if I'm going to the hospital to pray for someone, you're coming with me. And so just bringing people into what's normal for us. Um, and what was amazing was every year when we would have this guy live with us and we would debrief him at the end of the year, we'd say, what was most helpful? What was the best highlight takeaway of your time? No one ever said, my great Bible teaching on the trampoline. <laughs> so heartbroken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no one ever said, uh, it was hanging out with Chris Tom. That was it. You know, the celebrity, it, it, they all said the exact same thing. They just said, just being in your house, wow. being around your family, in your community, yeah. that was what was most helpful. And that's the thing, like, you know, a fish discovers water last, right? That proverb. So we don't even realize all the stuff that God has probably done in us and our marriage and our families. But if we bring people in and yeah. it's that our, you know, their house looked very different than our house. Um, maybe our house isn't what we hope that it will ultimately be, but it's probably a lot further along than where it was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And someone else might be where we were 10 years ago. Yeah. And so it could be so transformative for them if we just give them that access. So, you know, with with Megan, you know, she doesn't have time to like sit and have coffee and sit and talk to all these people who want to do that. But she'll she'll be like, hey, I'm going to the grocery store. Come on, come hang. We'll talk. Yeah. Uh, we'll invite kids to come watch our kids play sports with us. We're going to be out at the ball field for a couple hours. Come hang. It's mm-hmm. great.
5: Yeah.
2: Um, cooking dinner. Uh, there's just so much stuff that we can invite people into that actually adds zero stress. Yeah. Uh, so just to change the way we think about our calendar.
5: Yeah. I- I'm struck by... I mean, it this intersects uh, with t- two of the axioms. We started our podcast talking through our, our seven uh, missional theology axioms, but two of them... it's it, I'm struck by... To have the confidence you need to do this, you need to believe, number one, that God is always present and at work. Not just Mm -hmm. when I'm preparing a sermon, not just when I'm preaching a sermon, not just when I'm leading music or songs on Sunday. Yeah,
4: not just on my best day, but my worst day, too. Right. God is
5: present and at work at 6.30 when my kids won't get up and I blew it. And, you know, God's present and at work there. Uh, I have to have confidence in that. And um, I can't remember if it's the third or fourth axiom, but uh, God meets us. God is so real. He meets us right where we really are. Like that's the location that God meets all of us is right where we really are, and so inviting people into your life means okay, I have to be confident that God is present at work in my whole life, and God is actually meeting us right here right now in what's really happening so I don't have to put on a show for people I don't have to uh you know kind of put out the best china you know uh, for dinner um, mm-hmm. like God is present, God is working, and God can in God can show people things that I'm not even aware of if I just take the opportunity to just invite them in and then let's, Mm. let's talk about that. Let's, let's talk about what you're seeing and what's happening and what God's saying and what God's doing. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So hospitality has become one of the core values for us as a community because, you know, in the South, if, if people were coming over to dinner, you you might say, uh, we're entertaining tonight. Right. Right. It's interesting. Mm. Just it's indicative, isn't it? We're entertaining. That means we're putting on our best thing. This is about us. Uh, We want them to think a certain thing about us versus we're hosting. This is about them. Hmm. We're here for them. Uh, We're not putting on this show. Um, And so I think it's one of the reasons why you see hospitality as such a critical uh, value and gift in the New Testament. Yes. You know, it's all over the place. Like be good at teaching doctrine. Mm-hmm. and be good at hospitality that's like <laughs> the pastoral epistles in a nutshell right pretty, it, like, pretty much it
5: yeah
2: how you need character stuff it's like tons of character and then two competencies teaching doctrine and hospitality that's yeah. pretty it's pretty massive uh, in the bible and so it's become massive for us and it turns out it's been the most transformational thing that we do despite all of uh hanging out with scott mcknight and having great sessions with all these amazing intellectual leaders. Right. It's just dinner that changes people. And it's dinner, it's the breaking of bread in Luke 24, isn't it? Where yeah. people recognize Jesus. It's like, oh, he's right here. And in Revelation, when Jesus stands at the door and knocks, he's like, open the door, I'll come in, we'll have dinner. Yeah, It's like, it doesn't have to be this huge thing, you know? Like yeah. If we don't learn to recognize Jesus in the simplicity of a candle, but we need a fireworks show every night, that's expensive. It's obnoxious, uh, and goodness me, we're going to miss so many opportunities yeah. to recognize the presence of God. That's yes. so good, Aaron. It is really good. That's really
4: good. I think if you if you're stirred by that, if you're stirred by the the meeting God around a table, meeting God on a candle, not in the fireworks show, and you want to know more about that, I mean, that's kind of why we started Gravity. Uh, there's <laughs> I was talking to a leader yesterday, even who was talking about his. Frustration that he has two lives. He's got the role at his church and he's got his role as like a, a friend and a family guy. And we were talking about it. It's one life. Mm-hmm. It's got to be one life or else you'll never be able to inhabit the grace and truth of Jesus in relationships. And so that's why we started Gravity. That's why we lead our cohorts. I know that's why you're doing what you do, Aaron. Um, this has been a great conversation.
2: Yeah. Like, fantastic.
4: Absolutely awesome. Would love to have you back on uh, if you're up for that.
2: I'm we at any time. We, we, can, we we have so much of the same heart, and I'm yeah. so grateful for what you guys do. So, yes. we learn from you, and we're yeah. grateful for you.
4: I'd love to revisit that uh, getting passion back in your marriage. You know, <laughs> little, you know, you mentioned earlier, like yeah. a little. This goes to show you people hear what they want to hear. Just that's real quick. Dracar Dr- Noir. Car <laughs> uh, Noir. Uh, essential oils. Yeah. You know. Man bun.
5: <laughs> Lots of back rubs. Man bun.
4: Yep. Yeah, back rubs are huge, man.
5: Yeah. Yeah. Also, Aaron, also Aaron, Sternke, yeah.
4: if you can't remember our axiom numbers, you uh-huh. can email podcast at gravityleadership.com. <laughs> and we'll send you one. We'll send you a whole list. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay.
5: You can get uh, Aaron, how can people okay. connect with 10,000 Fathers uh, if, they, uh, want, our if website, they want to find out? Yes, what
2: totally. It's worship.school. So that's all you need to type in. Um, we've got okay. schools that start in the winter, in January, and February, and then in the fall, in August and September. Um, so people can come on site and begin our journey with us. Um, it's really exciting. They can also do an online version of our school from anywhere in the world, which has been great for a lot of our international students. Yeah. Um, we we also, of course, we have podcasts, social and all that kind of stuff. Um, but a new thing that we're launching that I'm excited about is a music school where we are in a, in a format not too dissimilar from a normal huddle where we would be training six or seven years at a time. Um, we are looking at ways to empower our graduates. So we have a few hundred worshipers around the world now who have graduated to the Towns of Fathers, um, and they might not be like the best bass player, but they need help for their bass player. They might not even be the best singer, but they want to pour into their teams vocally. Hmm. Um, we, we're able to offer now some pretty cool new stuff through our music school where we can help come alongside our leaders who are already shepherding their teams in character. We can come alongside them and help. Uh, invest in some of the competencies as well. So that's kind of cool. That's just now starting, Um, but everything you need, worship.school, it's all there.
5: That's great. We'll put a link to all that stuff in the show notes uh, if you're curious about connecting with Aaron and with 10,000 Fathers. All right, y'all. Anything else? Are we good? I think we're good. Thank you so much, Aaron. It's been (laughs)
1: awesome. If I were a worship leader, I would be looking that up right now and getting in touch with Aaron and figuring out how I can get connected to 10,000 followers, these guys have blessed us a ton. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, they really have. And I'm 100% certain it will be something that's worth the
5: investment. Thanks, guys. Yep. All right. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you found it helpful, please let us know by leaving a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you review podcasts. You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com to ask a question or suggest a topic for a future episode. And join our online community for free at gravityleadership.com join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles that we found interesting or helpful in our work as local pastors and practitioners of discipleship and mission. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join.